Hey you. I'm Kim. I'm Tara. Welcome to Unapologetically You. Isn't it crazy how much your life can change in a matter of six months? Your world can completely turn upside down. Inspired by her four-year-old daughter's brief battle with cancer, our guest today, Angela, shares Amelia's ongoing legacy. In the aftermath of losing her daughter, Angela's mission is to alleviate the financial burden of medical transportation for children that are ill, regardless of a family's inability to pay. And though shattered by grief, Angela and her family continue to move forward to honor Amelia's memory. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that we can continue to bring you these awe-inspiring stories. And stay tuned for Angela's story. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for your willingness to share your story with our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Your story is unlike any that we have shared on our podcast just yet. Losing a loved one in your life is, is hard enough, but losing a child is unimaginable. You have made it your mission to help ensure that no child is denied emergency medical transportation. Why don't you share with us Amelia's story and how that's led you to where you are today? Yeah, so um, Amelia was a typical four-year-old. She was happy and you know carefree and loved Elsa and all that. Um, and then in almost, actually almost exactly two years ago, um, my husband and I, we were living in... Um, southern um southeastern pennsylvania my husband got um a job with a, a prominent company in like central pa so we moved um and around that time my daughter started just getting really moody and she was four she was very feisty and strong-willed and so we just thought you know she was having trouble adapting to the to the move um and you know just kept saying she wanted to go home um really no other major symptoms um Every now and then when she got really upset, she would say her stomach hurt. But of course, like we had just moved. Um, we were living in an apartment. We were getting ready to build our house. It was just crazy. Um, and so I spoke to pediatricians and friends and they said, oh, it's anxiety. She just, she's been used to the same house her entire life, her, the same babysitter. Um, and so they, you know, it was anxiety. So, um, my husband actually started his job in um, September and the way his, the company works is he had to be employed for an entire month before he could be eligible for medical benefits. And so, you know, famous last words, we were like, oh, we're all healthy. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> we'll be fine to like have a lapse in medical insurance for, you know, six weeks. Um, and it was on October 5th. It was a Friday. Um, again, you know, my daughter just had kind of been moody, but we were trying to like focus on the positive with it, with, you know, moving and everything. And, um, we were getting ready to do some errands. She was kind of tired. She had been sleeping a lot. Um, and when I got her up, I stood her up and she said, my legs hurt. I can't stand. So I, I put her on my lap and I noticed she felt very like hot to me. She felt like she had a fever. And I told people like my mom got for the last like few weeks prior to that had just been saying like something's not right, but I tend to be a little bit of an overreactor. <laughs> so I just kind of was like, you know, stop thinking worst case scenario. I actually said to people prior to that, she's probably just having, having anxiety, but my brain immediately goes to like pediatric cancer. Um, oh my and gosh. yeah. And so, but of course, like we didn't really think that was an issue. So, um, but she, I took her temperature and she had a fever and I told my husband, I said, something's wrong. I'm taking her to the emergency room. Um, so we took her there and that was where we were told she had stage four cancer. And so it went from being, you know, a hypothetical, like we just thought she was having anxiety to, oh my gosh, like yeah. unreal. Like that's yeah. just 
unreal. Yeah, it was so, it was absurd. At that point, I mean, what do, what do you even do? What's your reaction? Like what It was it was the strangest thing I think I've probably one of the strangest experiences I've ever had because I genuinely think my brain went into shock. Um because the they had done an ultrasound and they brought the doctor in during the ultrasound, which I immediately knew was not good. And they said, well, something's wrong with her kidney. Um, let's do a CAT scan. They did a CAT scan. And while they, after they scanned her, we were like, she was laying there on the table and they didn't come get her. And I saw that they brought another doctor in behind the glass. So I immediately knew like something was up. Um, so when the doctor came into the emergency room, um, he said, you know, she has stage four cancer. And he initially told me it was a different type of cancer than it actually was. Um, and I just stared at him. I, I just looked at my husband and, and I remember it so distinctly. My husband just put his hands in his head and I just remember like, don't cry in front of Amelia. She's going to, she's going to panic. And so I didn't. And I just, I said, okay. And the, the emergency room doctor kept going, do you understand what I'm telling you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And I was like, yep. And he's, you know, and then, um, yeah, I called my father-in-law and I was like, let's, I have a, we have a son who's 10. So I was like, let's, we have to figure out what we're going to do because we knew we were being transferred to a children's hospital a few hours away. Um, and it was very like almost robotic. I just, I called him, I called my mother-in-law. I was completely like, Hey, this is a situation. This is where we go from here. Um, but it wasn't until I called my dad that I went to the bathroom and called him just cause I wanted to be out of the room away from our daughter. And I, I just went hysterical. And I actually don't really remember the conversation. I genuinely think I was in shock. Um, you know, I just said, Amelia has cancer. And I just re kept repeating myself going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I'm not, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And it was like my brain just had, everything was firing all at once. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure, I genuinely couldn't think of like, what was the next step? So right. um Fortunately, you know, my dad got emotional, of course, and he put my stepmom on the phone and my stepmom is, is so wonderful. She's so nurturing, but she's also very mom like where she's like, she'll, she'll snap into that mode. Like, this is what you need. So, uh, you know, she got on the phone and she said, Angela, this is what you need to do. You do this, you call your employer, you do this, send Adam home, get, you know, clothes. And, um, we did, we just kind of went into like autopilot where I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> what do we, what do we do moment? moment to moment from here. I couldn't even think about, you know, more than five minutes out. It was Absolutely. just, it was crazy. It really was. It was, I think I just was in shock, but it was the strangest thing. <laughs> I can only imagine. And so from there, I mean, I guess like for anybody, I mean, I feel like everybody has somebody in their life that has cancer, right? But like pediatric yes. cancer is just like a whole different ball game. It is. So stage four, they give you this diagnosis of stage four. Do they like go into details right there of like possible treatments? Do they, or do they wait till you get to that children's hospital? Yeah. So not in the emergency room, but um, as I said, the emergency room told us, um, they, they call they said she had a Wilms um, tumor. She had Wilms um, cancer. And so of course we, everybody immediately went to Google <laughs> and started like researching it. Wilms is an extremely, um, it's a very treatable cancer. So despite the fact that it's stage four, everyone kept saying stage four in a child is very different than stage four in an adult. Um, children are much more resilient. They respond much better to treatment. And when we were looking up the treatment or, you know, the prognosis for a stage four Wilms, it was, it was quite good. It was like 89% survival. Um, 
And so we were, we were pretty optimistic. I mean, we were terrified, but at the same time we thought like, okay, well, at least we know what we're dealing with. Yes. Um, but it ended up not being a Wilms. And that was where it kind of really went off the, the, ra <laughs> the rails. So what type of cancer did she end up having? So she had a malignant rhabdoid tumor. Um, it's an, it's an extremely rare ca uh, cancer. It affects only about 20 to 25 kids per year. And it's almost always seen in babies. So they didn't even really entertain the idea that it could be a rhabdoid. Um, they attempted to remove her kidney, um, which had the tumor on it. And in the middle of that surgery, you know, um, the surgeon made the decision that it was just too involved. He also thought it was a Wilms, um, which was the most common type of cancer, it, uh, kidney cancer in children that age. So he said, you know, I biopsied it. We're going to do chemo. It'll shrink and then I'll be able to go back in. Um, but it was like immediately when I spoke to her oncologist after that, I said, he doesn't think it's a Wilms anymore. I can, I can tell. And of course everyone said, you're overreacting. You're, you know? yeah. Um, and I was like, nope, I, um, and yeah, I ended up being a rhabdoid, which I think was like, it was the least likely. It was the thing that everyone, we never thought it would be, but it was also what had the, the worst prognosis. So, you know, we knew, we knew pretty much right away that stage four rhabdoids, um, they, they don't really have survive like a survival rate. It's extremely, it's extremely aggressive. It tends to mutate very quickly. Um, yeah. Once it's exposed to chemo, it changes. So, um, but we still made the decision to, to treat it and, um, and at least try. Yeah. Know? Give it like right. a fighting, give it yeah. a fighting chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, from the point of diagnosis, how long mm -hmm. did treatment go on for? So she was diagnosed October 5th. Um, we started, they had to wait a few days before they could do the surgery because they weren't sure what caused her to spike that really high fever. Um, it was, so they wanted to make sure that she didn't have a secondary infection somewhere. Sure, right. Yeah. Um, so then they did the surgery and that was a pretty extensive surgery. So we started treatment at um, the end of October, right before Halloween. Um, she did really well. She did amazing. Like you wouldn't have even known she was sick. She bounced right back. Um, you know, she, you know, even to the point where we're like preparing her to lose her hair. She was so feisty. She's like, I'm not going to lose my hair. And we're like, honey, you're going to like, we can't help it. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't lose her hair until she went on a clinical trial. So oh my it was, gosh. Wow. She, I mean, it was just, it really, that would like, even the residents would be like, Oh my God, she has so much hair. I'm like, I know. Um, so <laughs> She went until it was mid-January. Um, she got pneumonia. And when um, she had had a scan in November, she, it, she was responding. Everything was shrinking. was fantastic. In January, she had pneumonia. And they were like, well, while she's in the hospital, let's rescan her. And that was when they found out she was, she was not responding to the chemo anymore. So um, we made the decision to do her Make-A-Wish and to go on a clinical trial. Um, but she was only on a, the clinical trial for a few weeks before she spiked another fever and I took her to the hospital and they, it essentially her, it, it had exploded. The, the cancer in her lungs had, was compressing her heart. It was just, it was, it, it went downhill very quickly after that. So it was like four to four months, four to five months that she was in active treatment from there. Um, and then you said that you did, you did get to do her make a wish though. Yeah. Yeah. What was her make a wish? Um, well, she wanted to go to Disney again. 
which we, we had been to Disney, fortunately, and we got to do the whole like bippity boppity boutique. And she dressed like Elsa and went and got to meet all the princesses. Um, and at that point, you know, she's, she wasn't a hundred percent. She definitely was, she was not feeling herself, but, um, yeah, we got to go, we got to do her make a wish. And she, um, we at least got to get out of the hospital for a little bit and be with our family. Um, our parents were able to go and just be together and kind of have those, those memories together. So that was nice. Absolutely. Especially like any little girl. I mean, the minute that that movie came out, as mm -hmm. soon as Frozen was out, everybody yes. wanted to be Elsa, you know? And <laughs> yeah. And I almost thought like, cause she was born in 2014. So I, I was not a huge Frozen fan. And I think she probably channeled that and was like, yep, she doesn't like it. I'm going to, I'm going to be obsessed. Um, and she was, and it was just Elsa. She didn't even particularly like the movie. She was just obsessed with Elsa. Everything was Elsa. Oh my so, gosh. yeah. And the, I guess that's every little girl's dream to be a right. princess. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So then you get to the hospital and she spikes this fever again. Mm -hmm. So yes. what was, what was it after that? How, how did that yeah. all play out? Um, like after, um, when, after she had pneumonia yes, or after, right. like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, we were home. It was crazy. We, we have the worst luck. We went on our Make-A-Wish and then I came home and immediately got sick with the flu and they, and they started, you know, uh, testing all of us and she had the flu as well. Um, but they were like, we have to start this clinical trial. So, um, they, they, I think it was about two weeks that she did that. Um, and again, my mom gut was like, something's wrong. I, I just feel it. But you know, again, I'm a worry, worry wart. Um, she spiked a little bit of a fever. It was like a hundred, but when you're going through any type of treatment, that's kind of where they're like, Nope, you bring her in. Um, and when we were in the emergency room locally, they said, it looks like her pneumonia is back, um, which was odd. Um, but when we got to the children's hospital, it was like, we were just swarmed with, um, you know, ICU and cardiology, and we weren't really sure what was going on. And they scanned, they did another CAT scan and they said the, the lesion in her right lung w was so big that it had pushed everything to the left and it was compressing her heart. So they said, you know, they weren't sure at that point, like really what to do because they were worried that, you know, from a cardiology standpoint, she wasn't stable. Um, and, it, it was crazy because she was a little bit tired, but you wouldn't have known otherwise other right. than that, you know, that fever. Um, and so cardiology came and everyone cleared her. And then um, my husband and I made the decision to go back to normal, just regular chemo to try and do more symptom management at that point. Um, it, and that was what her oncologist also recommended. Um, but at that point, just her, her little body was, it couldn't do it anymore. So yeah. she, she, her, she just couldn't handle the chemo anymore. I mean, she just, she couldn't do it. Couldn't, yeah. Um, and so that was when we had to, to make the decision just to stop any treatment and move to like palliative care. Sure. sure. But she's so strong-willed and so stubborn that those doctors were like, she has a few days to possibly two weeks. So she made it 15 days from that point, because that's how she was. She was like, well, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. wrong <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And Aww. go from there. So th at that point we decided we wanted to come home and just focus on. Be the family. Be yes, together. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And we were new to the area. We had just moved. So we just wanted to be together, you know? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. 
I can't even imagine like that in 15 days. I mean, what is running through your head as a mom? Like, are you, what are you even thinking? You know, like, I don't think I really did. I, I just, because I knew that my life was about to <laughs> be even more flipped upside down. So I, I, I really don't think we did. Like we didn't, we weren't very emotional. I mean, hospice came in and, we were just so focused on making sure that she was comfortable, that, you know, anything she wanted, you know, if she was, she could have been like, mom, I want to, you know, drink gasoline. I would have been like, all right. <laughs> you know, it was just like, literally, yeah. I just wanted to make sure that she was comfortable and that she had everything she wanted. Um, and, and so I think we did, I think we just, our bodies kind of went on autopilot and we were just like, let's just get through the next moment. And then it was, you know, after it happened that all of a sudden we're like, okay, now we have to process this. And it was, you know, that was kind of what was crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I know that there was an incident that led you because now, so for all our listeners at home, Angela has got to the point where um, once Amelia had passed, you had created this not-for-profit organization that is just amazing. Thank um, you. And there was an incident that led you to um, want to want to start this organization. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that specific moment? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned earlier, when Amelia was first diagnosed, we didn't have medical insurance. And, you know, my husband and I, we were in a fortunate position financially. We were not worried. I never once in the hospital said we're concerned about payment, you know, nothing. We were selling our home. We were, we, it was just the furthest thing from our mind. Um, when she was diagnosed, they said, you have to be um, sent to Pittsburgh for, to the children's hospital. And, we waited and waited and waited for an ambulance. And um, I mean, they just kept saying, oh, there's no one available. There's no one available. So finally, after about six hours, um, it was the, the middle of the night at this point that the nurses came in and said, hey, we found someone, but they're coming from Elk County, which was two hours away. Um, they'll be here, you know, in a couple hours. So um, after they showed up, I heard the nurses talking during our transfer and I heard them say, thank you. No one would come and get her because she didn't have insurance. And at that point, you know, my daughter was a little worried, like scared. She had never been in an ambulance before. So I was like, let's get her in the ambulance. And um, so at the in the ambulance, there's someone who's dr who drives and someone who's in the back with us. And so after she got settled, I said, hey, just out of curiosity, I'm not upset, but, you know, with you. But what was the situation around that? I heard them say that. And, and he got real quiet and he said, um, you know, I'm sorry, but but no one no one would take her because she doesn't have insurance. And um. I mean, I was just, I was just, my mind was blown, I, you know, that someone wouldn't take a four-year-old little girl to two hours because right. she didn't have, you know, we didn't have insurance. And it ended up that this company was like a last resort. They were two hours away. The hospital called them and said, this is the situation. And the guy said, um, we're coming. No questions asked. He, um, and I feel like I have to do a shout out to them. Elk County EMS in Pennsylvania in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. Um, he literally dropped what he was doing at one o'clock in the morning, drove down and came and got us, uh, took us to the Pittsburgh. And then when they dropped us off, he said, Hey, here's my personal number. I own the company. If you get a bill, call me and we don't want to charge your family anything. And then they wouldn't accept payment from us. <laughs> so yeah, they were, oh they were so gosh, amazing. amazing. Yeah. They were incredible. So and, and they've been huge supporters of our foundation as well. That they like anything we want or need they're there um but that was the first glimpse i i got into to that i i had no idea that was a thing 
Yeah, me neither. No. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't until, you know, we wanted to do something after she passed away that, um, you know, to, to keep her, her name going and her memory alive. And we wanted to try and figure out some way that we could, this was something that directly impacted us. Um, and there were some, there were some semantics behind it that were a little bit challenging, but, um, yeah, I thought if this is happening to us, this is happening to other families who might not be in a position where, you know, they might not have had someone as generous to say, we're not going to charge you. Um, or had the ability to pay that bill. So we, we said, well, let's, Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> That's so, it's it, what a beautiful tribute to give to Amelia, you know, Thank like you. that is something that is going to literally last a lifetime, you know, Thank like you. it's, and it's so, it's crazy because right before we were kind of just chatting about how this podcast was going to work, and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like uh, the whole point of this podcast is like, we do all have some of the darkest moments in our lives. We all experience super terrible things, whether it's loss, whether it's mental health issues, whether your house burns down or some tragic right. accident happens. And it's finding the light in those dark moments to continue on. And I think it's so powerful and impactful when you use that not only to to live on, to, to have Amelia's name live on, but you're now giving other children life, you know, like that yeah. is, I could cry about it because it's oh, so thank you. it really is. Thank you. Um, so that organization, so your organization, obviously you still, are you guys active with that now still? Is that something that, you yeah, have? yeah, yeah, it's, it's, been interesting because of COVID and everything sure. with that. Right. Um, things have kind of slowed down. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we've, we've been fortunate. We've had the support of um, the local, um, there's an, there's an ambulance association that like oversees all of um, the other smaller associations in our, in our um, area. And they've been so, they've been so wonderful and um, they've been, they've been really welcoming and, and they've helped us kind of navigate how, how to implement this, how to make our mission work. Um, it has slowed down a little bit and it's been challenging this year because both of our fundraisers have had to be canceled because yeah. of everything. Um, but we're, we're thankful we have a lot of support. And that was kind of one of the reasons I decided to start the foundation. I mean, I literally started it two months after she passed away. And it was not because I was mentally in a place where I could do that. It was very, very challenging. But I knew that she had such a support and such, you know, so many people rallied behind her when she went through her treatment. Um, and, and they really rallied behind our family that I was like, this is, we have to keep this momentum going and we have to keep it fresh in people's mind to remember that this happens. It happens now, like in 2020. And yeah. you, you know, this is not something that's archaic. This is, this right. is still happening. Um, so we just, I kind of, we, we pushed and we got it through pretty quickly and, yeah, it's, it's, it's working. <laughs> We're, so that's and good. so the name of your foundation is Strength for Amelia? It's the Amelia M. Share Foundation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We kind of, everybody hashtags Strength for Amelia. That was oh, okay. her, that was her Facebook page when um, she was going through treatment. And so her, the, the website is strengthforamelia.org, but um, the actual foundation is the Amelia M. Share Foundation. Um, so what advice would you give to a parent that's facing a terminal medical diagnosis for their child? Um, 
I think it's really important. You know, the thing my husband and I kept thinking of, of as we were making these decisions, um, knowing that we were we were facing a terminal diagnosis, was that we from the beginning had said her quality of life is the most important. So it's very easy as a parent to go into that. I don't care what you have to do, keep my child alive. Sure. Um, okay. And we just kept going back to that to go like, is this something that's gonna improve her quality of life? Are you know, are we gonna, are we just delaying the in inevitable where she's gonna be in any kind of discomfort? Um, so that was really, you know, and our oncologist was, my daughter's oncologist was fantastic being like, we're staying true. Cause I told him from the beginning, I said, I know what this means, but I, and I need you to know that when it comes down to it, I might flip the switch and I might go, you know, from being quality of life to being, you do anything you can to keep my child alive, even yeah. if it means that, you know, and I said, don't let me do that. Let me make sure that I, I stay true to, um, keeping her quality of life, um, what it should be or the best that I could, that I, we could be. So he was also very good to be like, you're making decisions with, you know, that, um, being at the forefront of your mind. So is, like I said, as difficult it is as it is and as much as you want to just, just to be selfish. And there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I was right there too. You know, you want to, you, you will, you want to do anything you can to keep your child here with you. Um, we just kept saying like in the long run, is this what is best for her? And, um, right. And so we were able to kind of make those decisions, just thinking like, what's going to, you know, make her most comfortable, what's going to allow her to come home and be with her brother and her family. Um, and so I would just, I would, I would advise parents to try to, to, to keep that in their mind, but everyone's experience is so different. And, sure. you know, it's, it's, it's gonna, it's, it, it sucks regardless. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, nothing, nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna make it better, but just to try and remain true to what, what you and your child want is, is so important. It's great advice. Great advice. Thank what you. What have you learned about yourself going through this entire process? Um, I learned so much. <laughs> um, I, so I, prior to this, I was very much a people pleaser. Um, I wanted to do anything I could to like, I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I wanted to make everyone happy. I didn't want hurt feelings. And then I really found out through all of this that I have to put, it, it's okay to be selfish. I have to put my needs first sometimes and, and set boundaries and say, okay, this isn't acceptable. This isn't, you know, this isn't conducive to my healing. Um, and I was proud of myself. It took a while. It, it wasn't something I did initially, but it, and it took a while to like lead up to that. But I was proud of myself to finally be like, okay, this is what I need. And if you're not, you know, able to give me that or to be supportive of that, then unfortunately, you know, you're not going to be part of my life right now. Yeah. Um, so that was something I was, I was proud of myself um, for. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're so strong and, and all that. But you don't really have a choice when you're put in the situation. Um, so for me, it was just being able to move forward, to not just be stuck, to move forward. That was something that I, I was, I was glad that I was able to do that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's mm -hmm. one of the things like a lot of our guests on our podcast talk a lot about, about, you know, putting yourself first, whether that's self-care, self-love, like however you do that, whatever, whatever yeah. that looks like to you, it's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, and even in situations like this, 
Um, what has been the hardest part about your journey? I feel like everything <laughs> has been has been awful. Um, so one of the things I think I was just not prepared for um, that. So I've lost a lot of people, you know, like my grandparents, my mother has passed away from cancer. I kind of thought I knew grief and I knew what that process was like. Um, for me though, and I, and I, it, I think it completely changes when you're, when you're losing it, when you've lost a child. I mean, that's, that's a whole different ball game. But for me, one of the things that was most difficult was that when, you know, Amelia was sick and when we were, you know, there at the end of life, we had such a huge, huge like rally of people coming around us and helping and giving us any extra support. And then after she passed away, it kind of just abruptly stopped. You know, people stopped checking in. People kind of went about their life. And for me, that was that was difficult because I kept thinking like, how can you move on with your life? How are you, you know, yeah. don't you know what's happened? Like I, I'm shattered. I can't. And so, and then, you know, society kind of kicks in and starts going, well, are you going to go back to work? Are you going to do this? Are you going to have another child? Are you going to, and for me, that was so difficult to navigate because I just found myself growing progressively angrier. I kept thinking like, you're not understanding, like, this isn't like, this doesn't just go away. Right. Um, so for me, that was, that was probably the most difficult part was to try to figure out how I move, you know, myself, my, you know, my husband, my son forward. How do we, how do we heal when we're constantly feeling a pushback from, from everyone else and how we're feeling stuck, but we're, we're in the same sense, trying to be pulled forward. And, um, yeah, it was extremely, extremely difficult for, for, for all of us, really. Cause you I'm feel sure. like you have to put on this face that you're okay. Because it don't, it gets, again, it kind of gets to a point where people are like, all right, like, you know, you should be better. And, um, and yeah, which is, which is crazy, but honestly you get it like, okay, well you need to go back to work. You need to focus on the children you do have. You need to do this. Um, and it's, and it's difficult when, when you're trying to go back to your old self, but that, that, that old self is shattered. So you really have to build yourself back up and find out what the new normal is, what, who you are now, because right. you're not the same it, it, you, in any sense. You're not going to, you're not going to be the same person. So just right. trying to, to figure out how we get, you know, everyone forward was just, it was extremely difficult. Was there anything that, helped a part of that healing process? Like, did you guys do therapy? Did you just do, like, did you take time off just for your family? Like, or was it really just the time? Did time just help heal it? Um, a little bit of everything. Um, I was very adamant from the beginning that I would not go to therapy because I said, unless that therapist has lost a child at the exact same age and, you know, manner that, we they, they wouldn't yeah. understand they simply would not understand and i read so many books and i just felt like so i was very against therapy um we did end up putting my son in therapy for ptsd um just because he was extremely close with our daughter and that was yeah. huge we moved him to a new school and then all that happened um for me one of the most helpful things was I actually came across a book by, um, her name's Megan Devine or Divine. She is a, a therapist. Her book's called It's Okay That You're Not Okay, How to Deal with um, Grief in a Society That Doesn't Understand. And 
I read it again, thinking it was going to kind of be ridiculous. Um, and she is a therapist. She, she, she treated grief her whole life, but then she watched her fiance drown. And so she's, she, her perspective completely changed. And it was amazing because the thing she said to me, I'm like, yes, I feel that. Like, why am I angry? Why am I, you know, up, feeling upset when people try to comfort me? Like, why am I feeling these things? Why am I feeling essentially stuck in my grief? Yeah. And she was really able to kind of speak to that. And then I did a writing class um, that really helped me. Um, and also just recognizing that everyone is grieving differently in my family. So even though my husband and I lost a child, the same child, the same exact way, he grieves completely different than, than the way I do. So we really try to keep those lines of communication open to talk. And so if one of us is feeling a certain way that we can, we can be open about that and kind of, you know, talk about it. And, and, um, and we just, yeah, we just really are trying to work through, you know, keeping her alive, keeping her, we try to talk about her frequently and, and remember her. What do you hope the takeaway is of your story for our listeners? Um, don't let your medical insurance lapse. <laughs> no, don't ever, don't, don't say, don't say this won't happen <laughs> because that's just opening up a can of worms. Um, well, I hope that I hope that anyone else who is going through, you know, loss or is grieving um, can just take away that their that their feelings are valid, no matter what the situation is. Even if it's something where they're thinking, "Oh, well, I didn't lose a child; I just, you know, lost a grandparent." Like it, it doesn't matter. Your their trauma is valid, mm-hmm. um, and that grief looks different to everyone. Your healing looks different, and. Um, there are going to be days where you feel great and you feel like, Hey, I'm making progress. And there's going to be days that you f- won't get out of bed and you'll sob hysterically. And you'll think all of my progress is undone. And that's not the case. It's, you know, it's, it, it's cyclical. And, um, and just to, to be patient and really, you know, try to listen, you know, to what you need. Like I said, if you need to set boundaries, set boundaries, um, do what you need to protect yourself and your family and 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 don't worry about the, what other people are thinking because really like i said what it comes down to is is your own peace your own healing and it it's going to look different for everyone and it doesn't have to be pretty it can be really ugly and messy and not graceful and that's okay <laughs> like that's it's I a process that. i love that thank you um well angela we cannot thank you enough like you are, you are such an inspiration. Honestly, Thank like you. you have brought in, in one of the darkest moments in your life, you've brought so much light to so many others. And I think that's just so unbelievably admirable. Thank um, you. But before you go, we have some, a couple fun pop questions that we're going to go ahead oh. and ask you. Okay. Like for real now. Um, <laughs> the first question is what is your spirit animal? Oh, Oh man, there's so many that I feel like immediately what comes to mind is a sloth. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, and it's funny because everyone's like, why a sloth? Like you run and do like half marathons and marathons Um, because I'm like, they just chill and they just eat and live their best life and they're not worried about it. And that's, that's really what I feel. (laughs) I do. I do. (laughs) If you were a superhero, what would your power be? Um, I would like to fly. 
Um, just because I think you can see the world in a whole completely different perspective. Look at that answer on point right there. I was I not even, I didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> All right. Now here's a, here's a hard one. What's uh -oh. your most used emoji? Oh, um, a bad, a middle finger emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that, or or the crying face, like laughter one. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good one too. I was yeah. say, that's probably a better. And they can go hand in hand. I usually right. send them Seriously. like one after the other to Tara often. Yeah, so okay. I just exactly. That's what I mean. I just it could mean hello. It could mean like stop talking to me. <laughs> There's so many such. It's open to interpretation. It's, yeah, but right. sometimes, yeah, sometimes that's all. That's all they get as a response. Um, what is your stance on pineapple on pizza? Oh, we're a divided household. Ooh, do tell. I know. I like it. Ooh. And I, I know. And I, I don't typically like flavor combinations like that. Um, <laughs> but I don't know why. And it, and it might be because my husband doesn't like it. And I'm just trying <laughs> to <laughs> ruffle his feathers. It's very likely that that is what it is. I don't even probably like it. I just want it. I would do the exact contrary. Thing. I hear yeah. that. I, I, I yeah. actually, I feel that in my soul. Yeah. So. My son is the tiebreaker and he says, absolutely not. No pineapple. Um, mm -mm. Yeah. No. Mm. So he is, but yeah, sometimes just to, just to, just to be a jerk, I'll order it. Just... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. If you could have an endless supply of anything, what would it be? Oh, my brain immediately went to food. Is that what you meant? <laughs> sure. Okay. Because I don't know why I was just like, oh, man, could you imagine if we had like Nutella, uh, endless supply of Nutella? I would... Endless supply of cheese curds. That's oh, awesome. yeah. <laughs> Not mixed with Nutella. No. 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 Um, yeah, probably that or like macaroni and cheese. Oh, um, yes. Doesn't that fit in with my sloth? Like I just want to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like not money or anything. I said yeah. food. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us and with all of our listeners. And most thank of you. all, thank you so much for being unapologetically you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We're so happy you joined us. And we hope this story inspired you to be unapologetically you. Join us next time for another remarkable journey. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, please reach out to us on our website at unapologeticallyyoupodcast.com. Don't forget to like us on Instagram and Facebook at unapologeticallyyoupodcast. And please rate and subscribe on whatever platform you listen in on so that we can continue to inspire you.